Do micronutrients hold a place in a doctor's recommendations to his or her patients? If so, how can we be sure we're recommending the proper micronutrients and antioxidants? What is the state of current research on these entities? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining us today is Dr. Gerald Hasse, Clinical Professor of Surgery at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and the Children's Hospital in Denver, with extensive experience as an NIH clinical trials investigator and a research consultant with the Department of Defense. Dr. Hasse is also a member of the American Association for Cancer Research, the International College of Surgeons, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the New York Academy of Sciences, the American College of Physician Executives, and a charter member of the International Society of Pediatric Surgical Oncology. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Hasse. It's a pleasure, Dr. Friedman, to join you and speak to the ReachMD audience. In terms of antioxidants and micronutrients, I see things published in the journals I read, but I also get things in the mail asking me to send my patients saliva and hair and this is good and that is bad and selenium. How do I begin to sort this out? Where is the reliable research? Well, that, of course, is the key question. I think, for starters, let me talk a little bit about the misconceptions and what I sort of jokingly talk about is the meta-analyses and the tyranny of the lay press. Unfortunately, what happens, in fact, many physicians get much of their information on micronutrients from the lay press since they don't read perhaps some of the journals where some of the basic science and some of the uh, studies are published. But very typically, and, and I will pick on two or three that I think are got a lot of play and I want to explain them. Very typically, adverse effects make headlines and benefits don't. Mm -hmm. One of the classic trials was the so-called ATBC, or alpha-tocopherol beta-carotene cancer prevention trial, a trial from uh, Finland, and in fact, it made the headlines because it said antioxidants increase the risk of cancer by 17%. (laughs) Well, in fact, in that particular study, The patient population was a heavy tobacco smoking population in Europe, and basically they used a single antioxidant, uh, beta-carotene. It is very well known that smokers have a very high internal oxidative environment, and any single antioxidant, when used in that environment, will uh, become oxidized and will act as a pro-oxidant. Mm. So, in fact, it, this result would have been expected. They should not have spent the money to do it with that design. Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, the results should never be extrapolated to the effect of uh, multiple antioxidants as they should be taken. The next study that I think many of the audience will be very familiar with, the Heart Outcomes Prevention Evaluation, or the HOPE study, which was supposedly the one that ended the thought that perhaps uh, antioxidants would be helpful in heart disease, Mm -hmm. again, had people who were ill. It uh, was uh, heavy tobacco smokers, type 2 diabetics, those at high risk for heart disease. And again, while the primary endpoint did not show adverse uh, effects, one of the secondary endpoints showed an adverse effect with a high dose of a single antioxidant. In that case, it was vitamin E, and it was the wrong form of vitamin E. The most effective form of vitamin E was published from a paper of Dr. Kadar Prasad's in 1982, vitamin E succinate, and that has to be in the proper proportion with the extracellular alpha-tocopherol in our body. So again, the wrong form of a single antioxidant was used, or a doublet, which with, in patients with high oxidative internal environments would be expected 
to not uh, provide a benefit. And in fact, using such a poor formulation, I'm even surprised that most of the primary endpoints were not adversely affected, although they were not. So these are the kinds of studies that I think give the doctors a lot of dis-ease about vitamins. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the best examples of the tyranny of the lay press was the wide uh, publication, you may recall last year, February 28, 2007, Journal of the American Medical Association, where researchers from Copenhagen University Hospital wanted to determine whether you know, antioxidant supplements could lengthen one's life. Mm-hmm. So what they did, you know, since they didn't want to have healthy people, they had to look for trials in a meta-analysis that had at least one death reported. So basically, the overwhelming majority of those in the, these clinical trials were tested for secondary prevention because these were people who were already ill. So, you know, instead of looking for primary prevention in a healthy population study, they looked at over 700 trials, over 200,000 patients in this meta-analysis, but they said only 68 of the trials were included because uh, they had to be trials where there was death. So, Mm -hmm. in fact, the trials were skewed very badly towards the elderly as well as to people with heart disease, cancer, cirrhosis, uh, renal failure, arthritis, diabetes, you name it. They, They were in this group. And I love to do this quote. The audience is certainly familiar with uh, Bernadine Healy, formerly of the NIH, a very uh, well-known clinical researcher. And she wrote in an editorial after this came out in the March 12th edition of U.S. News and World Report, she said, blenderizing these diverse trials into one giant 232,606 patient strong study to come up with a seductively simple proclamation is just silly. (laughs) This study Mm -hmm. violates a cardinal rule of meta-analysis, pooled studies must be compatible. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what unfortunately has hampered most of the physicians, and I would hazard a guess that most in this audience, to not really be comfortable with recommendation of the proper vitamins and antioxidants. All of the articles that are widely circulated fail to critically examine the scientific rationale for selecting the proper dose, type, number, and dose schedule of the antioxidants used. It would be like if you and I would write an article on our specialty and orthopedic surgery and only have our specialty represented among the authorship. There are excellent cardiologists in these studies. They did a beautiful job on the cardiology aspects of these studies, but there is no co-author who's an antioxidant scientist, and it shows. And does the poor design of the studies, the poor uh, choice of the antioxidants speak to the fact that there is no consensus of who really is an authority on antioxidants? And why do we see big studies that get published in the major journals have these flaws? I think that's actually a very, very perceptive statement. And probably it's not that there are not experts. And the, the biggest problem with consensus on antioxidation is how do you measure it? How do you measure oxidative stress? And, you know, there are a lot of tests, and we measure them in our laboratory. But I think without clinical correlation to actual benefit, either in a health situation with a clinical patients or in an exposure situation where you have to use animal models, you've got to have some uh, objective endpoints that people can agree on, whether you're an antioxidant scientist from the bench, whether you're an antioxidant clinical scientist, or a combination of the two. So I think that what we've tried to do with our work is perhaps put the two together. 
what we recognize, and this I think is really, Dr. Friedman, the major point for the audience, is the formulations that you recommend, and I hope that you do say this to the patients, should be formulations that were based on antioxidant micronutrient science and not what I called borrowed science. Borrowed science is what you typically see on the news, the television, radio, print media, where the statement is made, studies have shown that this micronutrient decreases this health risk or is good for your prostate or is good for your, your macular degeneration, etc. And therefore, we have this product that includes this micronutrient. Mm-hmm. What they have done is take the actual component and put it in a formulation. It may not be the same dose as what was in the study. It may not be the same form. It certainly is mixed with other things. There may be other types of ineffective or uncharacterized additives. There may be herbals. Who knows what's in these products? What we have done using antioxidant science is try to take the fact that there are different types of antioxidants in the body and different types and forms of these micronutrients, put them together into a proper combination formulation, and then test them in animal models and in humans. And that's what we've done. And when I read the New England Journal or JAMA, I see articles about all kinds of things. I I don't see these type of articles being published in the journals that I look at. Where can we see this, and what's the confirmation that these studies are valid? Sure. And in fact, many of them are recent. Many of them are done under cooperative research and development agreements with the federal institutes. They are in varying processes of being abstracted. Some have been presented and being put together for publication. The information, if the readers are interested, can be obtained either by calling Dr. Prasad, Dr. Cole, myself at 615-234-4020 or get some of the preliminary information directly from www.mypmcinside.com, and that will give them some highlights, which I will now talk about. Sure. The dearth of information that you relate to is very real, and all of the studies that are being accomplished by many investigators in the field, unfortunately, tend to be one or two micronutrient studies, because that is our paradigm. That's the way we fund our research, looking at mechanisms of action and looking at one or two components. The problem with antioxidant science is you really must have a formulation that includes the proper micronutrients and excludes those that are inappropriate. Let me give you some examples. If you look at the typical combination multivitamin, you will see things like iron, copper, or manganese in combination with vitamin C. Mm -hmm. It is very well known that that particular combination is strongly pro-oxidative and is exactly the opposite of what is desirable. In addition, the minerals that I mentioned, when in the presence of vitamin C or in any chelated form, are highly absorbed by the body, and that leads to increased body stores. And, of course, increased body stores of iron, copper are implicated, as you know, in many chronic illnesses, including neurological illnesses. Mm -hmm. So this is not what you want. Also, Many of the micronutrients have unnecessary heavy metals like molybdenum, vanadium, boron. There's no evidence that the supplemental use of these heavy metals, you know, which actually are more than adequately available as trace metals in even a minimal diet, are needed for any health effect. In fact, if these metals are given as additional supplements over a long period of time, there is evidence that they could become neurotoxic. So, in fact, 
you want to not have the A to zinc mentality of the marketplace, and you don't want to have everything in there. You want the right things in there. So what, for example, are some of these right things, if you will? Number one, I spoke earlier about vitamin E. You must have the most bioavailable form of vitamin E for intracellular function and the most effective form of vitamin E for extracellular protection. And, you know, that ratio must be correct. Also, it's important that you include both vitamin A and beta carotene. I think most people think that, uh, you know, beta carotene is only a precursor to vitamin A, but in fact, there are very specific critical functions, both on a cellular and genetic basis, that vitamin A does and beta carotene cannot do and vice versa. We're out of time at this point, but I think we've scratched the surface and it's clear that there's a lot that we don't know about micronutrients and oxidative stress. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And I want to thank all of our listeners who've joined us for the Clinician's Roundtable. This is ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for listening.